A few weeks ago, my wife Robin and I went to IPAC in Wollongong to see the Opera Australia performance of Carmen. After its third postponement, it finally happened. Well, we sat there and the lights went down and the orchestra started to play an overture. What's an overture? Well, in the overture we get a lot of previews of the music that's going to come in the main body of the performance. We get to hear a lot of the tunes, a lot of snippets of the different bits of music. And then the curtains open and the performance begins. It's a bit like the Bible, really. There's an overture, and then the real thing happens. And the overture is the Old Testament, where all the various aspects of the Old Testament point to what's really going to happen when God sends his final solution onto the world. Well, as we look through the book of Hebrews, we see that we've got a, a writer whose name we don't know, but he's writing to Jewish Christians, Jews who've turned to the Lord Jesus, and they've now come under attack. And the writer seems to feel that there's some danger that they're going to turn back to the old ways. They're going to turn away from their Christian faith and go back to Judaism. And our writer is keen to point out that that was just the overture. You're in the main program now. You don't want to go back to those little snippets pointing to what's really going to happen. It leads to the fulfilment. It points to what God has really planned in sending his son Jesus for the salvation of the world. Well, in the, just under three weeks, I think it is, the Olympics are going to start in Tokyo. <clears throat> Thousands of athletes around the world have been training. They've been competing to qualify to go to this great event trying to get to their peak performance by the competition date. They've had to hold off for a year and try and maintain their skills. Is anyone more driven than an athlete striving to achieve their goal of a gold medal? Well, you might be training for the Olympics, but are you running to win? That's what we're asking today. Are we going to strive to achieve the goal, to keep at it? Well, as we come to look at these verses in chapter 10 of Hebrews, let's ask the Lord to open our hearts and minds to what he has to say to us this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you reveal to us in the scriptures. And as we look at this passage this evening, we pray that we might learn new and wonderful things from your word to encourage and strengthen us in our service for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Knock, knock. Some years ago, 
must be quite a few years ago. Time flies past so quickly, I can't remember when it was. Somebody one night managed to break into Buckingham Palace. He found his way right the way to the Queen's bedroom. And we're told that he sat on the end of the Queen's bed and had a chat with her while security was called. Well, not many people get to see the Queen's bedroom. It's a great honour to be invited to Buckingham Palace, whether it's to a, a garden party or to one of the reception areas. Not many people get that honour. But as we come to our passage this, morning, this evening, we, come with, we meet some amazing news. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters... We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can enter heaven's most holy place. We don't have to break in. We don't have to sneak in. We can go there boldly. No further invitation is needed. We have the privilege as followers of Jesus to meet and speak with God we can hear from him right now. But as I've said, our writer is constantly looking back to the Old Testament and pointing out what happened there is pointing to Jesus. Back in the days of Moses, Moses was a great man of God, a great prophet. He led God's people out of Egypt and led them on the way to the promised land. He met and talked with God, but with limits. Moses asked to see God's glory, and the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. This happened at Mount Sinai. That, we believe, is Mount Sinai. The Bible doesn't give us any GPS coordinates, but it's generally believed that this mountain called Jebel Musa, or Moses Mountain, was in fact the mountain on which Moses met with God. 2,244 metres high, and it's become a tourist destination. And it takes six hours to climb to the top of it. An 80-year-old Moses went up and down there with tablets of stone to meet with God. God called Moses up onto the mountain to meet with him. But no one else was allowed to go near the base of the mountain. We read in Exodus Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. The mountain on which God was meeting with Moses 
was a restricted area. Keep out. God jealously guarded his space. And on that mountain, God gave Moses instructions to build a special tent or tabernacle in which people could meet with God. But even so, it was very limited. It was very restricted. Moses was, oversaw, oversaw the building of this tent but even when it was finished even he wasn't allowed to go into that most holy place only his brother Aaron who was the high priest could go in there and he could only go in once a year with blood of bulls and goats but we have got unrestricted access by the blood of Jesus to the presence of God we need to use it. Our reading goes on. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So what's changed? Where is the barrier? In that tabernacle, that tent of meeting, there was a curtain which separated the place where priests were allowed to go and the place where the high priest was only allowed to go once a year and when we read in the gospels the time of Jesus death we read that the veil of the temple the successor to that curtain that was in the tent the veil of the temple was torn in two by his death through his flesh Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place we might think twice about strolling into Buckingham Palace but our high priest gives us a right of entry we have freedom to enter the greatest palace in the universe the presence of God and as our writer goes on he says, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood Actually, the original language there doesn't mention blood, but sprinkling suggests that. Back in, again, in the Old Testament, Moses said, was told to say, then take some of the blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his sons and sew their garment and on their garments. In this way, and they and their garments will be set apart as holy. The sprinkling of blood was used in that situation to cleanse and to purify and to make holy. Another reference from the prophet Ezekiel where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. Through the blood of Jesus, through the water of baptism, we are clean in God's sight. 
But can we be sure? Well, our writer goes on, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Look back on God's promises. Look back to that overture in the Old Testament and see what God promised. See what happened there. God's promises never fail. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Then our writer goes on, on a new tack. Can I help you? He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That word motivate is a powerful word. It means arouse or provoke. The outcome of us being made clean in God's sight is service to others through acts of love and good works. He goes on, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some do. Why? Well, we know that these Hebrew Christians were suffering persecution. Maybe they were suffering in a way that discouraged them from meeting together. We know this happens in our world today in many places where Christians are not free to meet together, where they may be subject to difficult, uh, persecution, subject to legal restrictions and unable to meet together. Does that persecution that discouraged them it's hard in parts of the world which raises the question do you have to go to church to be a Christian well the obvious answer is no you don't have to go to church to be a Christian you're a Christian by putting your faith in Jesus but if you put your faith in Jesus you have a desire to be with his people. I know that there are people out there online at the moment who are watching us, either by live stream or perhaps at some later time. And many people will have very good reasons for watching online. Many people may have health problems, distance difficulties, maybe under COVID lockdown. There may be many other reasons why very good reasons why you're there and not here. But I wonder if there's anybody out there online who just feels a bit more comfortable sitting in their comfortable chair with a cup of coffee, sitting back and watching. Or if that's you, perhaps you should rethink, not neglect meeting together. A few weeks ago as we were going through uh, one kings we met Elijah and Elijah ran away and he went to that same mountain Mount Sinai and met with God there and God gently chided Elijah what are you doing here Elijah you're in the wrong place well if anyone out there is choosing to not be with God's people then perhaps you should hear this message today. What are you doing here? Do not neglect meeting together as some people do. 
but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We meet together to encourage one another. We meet together in expectation. We meet together in fellowship. And if we're not meeting together, we're missing out. If you're not meeting with others, you're missing out. And those who are meeting are missing your encouragement as well. We are called to love, good works, fellowship, encouragement and expectation. Jesus told a story which has become very well known of a Samaritan who fell a Jew who'd been mugged on the, on the roadside and what did he do? He helped him. He showed care and compassion to him. Whilst Jewish religious leaders failed to do so. He showed love and compassion and he was in their eyes an enemy. And we too are expected to follow that example and show love and care for others. Here in our Sydney diocese we can do that in a practical way by supporting Anglicare which does just that, showing love and care for those who are in need. But how does love and encouragement work out in actual practice? I went to a church service for the first time at the age of 15 and I walked into the church and as I went in a young fellow was standing there about my own age who welcomed me, introduced himself as Brian and we got talking and before very long Brian was inviting me along to the youth group that afternoon, three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Come along and join us. Well, it had been a bit of a challenge to me going to church once on a Sunday for the first time, but being, uh, to go twice was even more of a challenge. Nevertheless, I went. I went along to that youth group. And I met a lot of youth, young people. And over the coming weeks and months, I became a regular member of that group and of the church. And over that time, I had a revelation. Up to that point, I'd grown up with the general popular view that if I, if I was really good and managed to do the right thing and did the best I could, well then... Perhaps one day God might let me into his heaven. And then came the revelation that there was no way I was ever going to be good enough to be let into God's heaven. But Jesus had done it for me. And that revelation turned into a revolution in my life. A little later, a visiting missionary, Joe, came up to me after the service and said, why don't you come out and join us in Tanzania? work in the jungle hospital. These words of encouragement changed my life. Encouraging friends. I still get love and encouragement from some of the members of that 1950s youth group. I still get love and encouragement from some of the students 
with whom I studied at college. You never know the outcome of a word of encouragement that you might give. I lost contact, sadly, with Brian many, many years ago. He doesn't know what happened to me, but he encouraged me, and his words really changed my life. You don't know what's going to happen when you say something to somebody, when you invite somebody to something and share your faith with them. John records Jesus' words at the Last Supper. Now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Christians should be recognised by their love. Well, that's an encouraging idea, isn't it? So what could go wrong? Our writer continues, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Oh, sin rears its ugly head. Well, we know that despite being forgiven, we all sin. We do continue to sin. But he writes here about deliberate sin. He writes here about willful turning away from God. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That was what the Old Testament required. So those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelites or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord and they must be cut off from the community, we read in the book of Numbers. So our writer goes on, Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Trampled on the Son of God. Trampled on Jesus. That's hard language, isn't it? Jesus died, and we're forgiven. That's awesome. Now we deliberately turn away and, as it were, hammer another nail into his hand. We have the Holy Spirit in us as believers in Jesus and yet we push him aside. We turn our backs on him. We reject him by willfully sinning. Here's the warning. We know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord will judge his people. 
We need to be aware. The law of Moses was temporary, but the punishment was severe. We read God's words to the prophet, through the prophet Amos to the people of Israel. Among all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for your sins. But we read in John's epistle, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we are a new creation. We are a new people. And we are to put off the old ways. Again, reading from John's epistle, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Obedience shows our love. The evidence, the evidence of love is obedience. And now we are under this greater and more permanent covenant than the one that was revealed in the Old Testament. A warning a warning against willful sin. But our writer is very confident in his readers. That's not you. You're not doing that, are you? He says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Jody's already alluded in his question time to the fact that New Christians are often so much more enthusiastic. We tend to get a little bit worn out as we get older, perhaps. And perhaps this is what was happening to the readers of Hebrews. They'd lost that early enthusiasm and glow. But they've suffered. They've gone through this. They've been witnesses to Christ and they've suffered for it. Well, you've been through that. Don't give up now. You've gone through the fire. Keep working at it. Don't give up. He calls his people, his readers, to persevere. He continues, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Stay focused. You're with the Lord. He's with you. Stick with it. It's worth it. Our loving Father has much to give you. And 
In just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Jesus will return. Well, we've been waiting a long time for him, haven't we? And yet the promise still stands. And as we saw earlier, God's promises never fail. He is coming. Our writer goes on concluding this chapter. My righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. A writer practices what she teaches here. He's loving, he's challenging, he's encouraging his readers to be faithful, to be persevering, and to continue following Christ. Don't go back to the overture. That was just a, a taster. That was just a beginning. Now the real thing is here. He challenges each one of us. Are you one of the faithful ones? Are you persevering? Are you continuing to serve the Lord in the face of whatever you might be living through at this time? As we live through this current pandemic and the limitations that it brings us, do we stay faithful to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have made to us and for the confidence that we can have that your promises will always be fulfilled. We pray that you will strengthen us as we serve you, that we might live to your honour and glory and to be faithful witnesses to you wherever we may be. We pray in Jesus' name.